There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1016, October 30th, 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say sweet 16. It's a new track record for Max. Checo makes Menudo on first corner. The Marco Machetti is swinging again. Damage is done in Dallas. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, Mr. Larry Hagman of Podcasting. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Max, again, again, and again. Checo, as a Mexican man, had no other choice in the matter of what happened on the first lap, and Dr. Marco will have a full explanation. LCH looks to overtake Perez now in the championship, and that means a lot of strange things are going to happen. Now, Fernando, poor Fernando, he says that Aston Martin has absolutely nothing to fight for, and of course that begins the Alonso rumor mill as we spin the wheel and see where Fernando lands Next, so that's going to be very, very exciting. And this week's interview, fresh off the presses from Nasser Hamid, of course, and his entourage. We've got Miles Rowe. Nasser will have all the details from this young champion who gets text messages from Lewis Hamilton. So this is a big, big thing. And of course, I have to remind everybody that we do need your contributions to keep this program on the air. We just need that click to support F1 Weekly tab, you know you want to. Nas, welcome to the studio. I hope you digested Checo's homemade enchiladas because it was a big one. It was a great race. It was awesome. Not for everybody, but you have to understand the Latino thinking. Checo had no choice. Well, you are beginning to sound like uh, Dr. Marco, so get ready for some hate mail. And speaking of Sergio, he gives heartbreak to local hombres at the start and straight to the front for his teammate. Gee, what a surprise. Mr. Rogers, I have to say this. We've done over a thousand podcasts and you and I have agreed on a few things. And one of them was who was going to win the Mexico City Grand Prix, not the Mexican Grand Prix. And what a season Senor Max, Red Bull, and Honda are having. Max breaks his own record of most wins in a season. 16 wins out of 19 races. Absolutely incredible. Max now has more than twice the points of second place Perez, who was of course his teammate in the championship. 
the score is 491 to 240, which is very, very embarrassing, with all due respect to Sergio Perez. Lewis Hamilton showed there is still quite a bark and bite in the old Roscoe. Lando Norris was voted driver of the day by the fans, but for me the real dingo of the day was Daniel Ricciardo. And as far as Sergio Perez is concerned, we'll talk more on that uh, after we do a quickie on Collie. Anything else you want to say before we move on to quickie on Collie? What you liked in the race, what you did not like? Well, I enjoyed the whole weekend because Mexico is fantastic. My thoughts are for Perez, it was either go for number one, the win, everything's on the line, because there was just no way he was going to play second fiddle to be on the second step or the third step or just languishing on the track. It was the big one or nada. So I, I felt for him, but I think even Christian Horner had the same sentiment. Feelings, huh? Feelings. Well, uh, let's do a quickie on Collie and see which way the wind was blowing. Max cleaned everybody's clock in all three practice sessions, so poll number 10 of the season was no surprise. Norris out in Q1 was a shocker. Max was on top, followed by two Aussie mates, Piastri and Ricciardo. Q2 shocker was Max, who was number two behind old BFF, LCH. Out in Q2 was Machismo, your man, Alonso. Elbon made it to Q3 but got his last lap deleted, so he was out of top 10. Q3. Q3 and front row was a prancing horse shocker. Leclerc taking back-to-back -back pole position and Carlito joining him. This came from nowhere. Did this surprise you, Mr. Rogers? I was shocked. I was stunned as well. I mean, I was happy. But I was absolutely blown away. But, you know, the, the whole weekend, the times were odd. Teams were, were performing well that don't perform well. Danica Patrick explained it really well to all of us dummies. But it was very interesting weekend to, to watch uh, the track fluctuate. I mean, look what happened to Albon. I mean, he was like P2 in FP3. And I thought for sure... We're going to have something exciting, and that didn't materialize at all. I mean, everything changed so quickly, like the wind. Yeah, and uh, and like you said, the timings were so close, and based on that, I just knew that the horses are going to run out of horsepower and steam and have no chance against uh, the raging Red Bull, or at least one of them. And Charles Leclerc now has 22 pole positions, same as Alonso, but unfortunately his rate of converting them into wins is not very good. Now, Mr. Al uh, Mr. Alonso, Mr. Rogers, have you noticed no matter what happens in Formula One, no matter what the subject is or topic is, good, bad or the ugly, Alonso is always there. He is Dos Equis of the grid, the most interesting man in Formula One. Do you concur? I absolutely do concur, and I think that he will eventually get that job with Dos Equis 
But no, you're right. And the sad part is now the news. I mean, these guys started out so well. The the Fernando excitement. I mean, we even had Fernando with Taylor Swift. That's how exciting it was. And where are we now? Yeah, I mean, it was so promising. I was convinced this guy will win a race, which would have made you very happy. It would have been good for motor racing and Formula One. But, you know, that's the way it goes. And what you were talking about, that uh, where will Alonso go? I hate to remind you, if he's saying what you are saying, uh, then I have to remind you what uh, Christian Horner said about him. That wherever he goes, he brings what? Love and companionship. No, the word he used for the started with C, chaos. But uh, let's see what happens. Okay, the qualifying was very close. Max had to settle for third alongside his ex-Red Bull and possibly future Red Bull teammate, Daniel Ricciardo. The honey badger was elated, saying, Lots of good energy right now, and I just want to rip my shirt off. Wow. Let's hope the mojo is back. The king of late breakers was very impressive against both the wonderkins of Red Bull, Seb and Max. Sergio Perez qualified fifth for his home race behind an Alfa Tauri. Now that is very, very bad. That is worse than finishing behind Lewis in the championship if it works out that way. Dr. Marco must be singing a line from a Don Henley song. You got your demons, you got your desires. Well, I've got a few of my own. One of these nights, I think the good doctor will do a chop-chop on Perez. So, do you think Checo's quesadilla is cooked and deep-fried at Red Bull's eternal number two seat? It could be simply because if you put a dollar amount on the amount of points that he has not gotten for the team and how well Max is doing, that's the biggest problem is Max is so far ahead and Checo seems to be completely losing it. So... And there's plenty of other drivers apparently on the grid that would love to have that seat. I don't know why, because it's nothing but trouble. Yeah, Checo has brought in a lot of money because Red Bull is paying him $10 million from the the notice he's bringing in, courtesy of Telmax. Um, The way he's going, being out-qualified by Alfa Tauri and Lewis now 20 points behind, I will not be surprised if they do a Daniel Kvyat on him, uh, put him in... uh, Alfa Tauri and put uh, uh, Ricardo in the Red Bull car, and I'm I have a feeling Ricardo will not going. It's not going to beat uh, the hell out of Max. Nobody will, but he will at least score more points. You agree on that? I do agree on that, but I think this Ricciardo thing. He's just had one good race, folks, and apparently Sonoda was in the top ten too, except that he made more mistakes. But let's wait for a few more Grand Prix for me to judge whether Ricciardo is really back in town. Yeah, but you know, as they say in professional sports, half of the battle is mental. And I think once uh, Ricciardo gets his mojo and his confidence back, he has all the support of people at Red Bull. I think it can work out. So we will see. And sir, as a remembrance to the late great Ayrton Senna, He remains the last driver to take back-to-back pole positions in Mexico City, and that was in 1988-89, 
in the Halcyon days of McLaren Honda. Okay, going to the race. The top 10 started on mediums. Oh, and excuse me. I understand the host watched the, uh, some of the race at a restaurant in San Ho. How did that go? I was not in San Jose. I was in Felton up in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Well, I, it was interesting, you know, and it was my wife's birthday. So, and I'm taping the race. Not a big deal. I'm not suffering. But we get to the restaurant and I see a television set. Hence, I ask charmingly with my racing eyes if she could turn it on to Formula One. And first she said, well, wait a minute. We got the 49ers coming up pretty soon. And I said, well, that's another half hour away. So she put on the race and I looked up and the first two things I looked at was how quickly Max got to the top and how quickly Checo got all the way to the bottom. And I quickly texted you asking what in tarnation is going on here. Exactly. Did they switch back to 49ers? Yes, sir. Oh, dear. I am in America. Sometimes that's the way it goes. Okay, top 10 started on mediums. The start was lightning quick for Max, and thanks to the long straight at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, I fully expected some argy-bargy in the first corner. I thought the two red cars from the front row will gang up on Max, and at least one of them retain the lead, but Mighty Max had other ideas. And so did his teammate Sergio Perez. Like he said, he was going for the win. According to Sam Posey, the first time he drove for Roger Penske, just before the start of the race, Roger leaned into his cockpit and said to Sam, Very few races are won on the first corner, but damn few are lost. And Checo proved that point. Now, one can understand the pressure he was under being on home soil, with massive home crowd support, all the rumors floating around. But with all his experience, he should, know, he should know better trying to take the lead on the first corner of the opening lap. Three cars going into a corner side by side is asking for trouble and there will be collateral damage. Especially given the fact he has the car that is pretty much guaranteed a second place finish in any race and as we have said before, Finishing second to Max is no shame for any driver. Like Checo said, I went for it and paid a very high price. That price now means Lewis is only 20 points behind Perez with only three races remaining. And you, you mentioned uh, you know, the lovey-dovey going on between uh, Christian Horner and Checo and they were shown on the video talking to each other. This is what Christian Horner had to say. I quote, I'm absolutely gutted to see Checo go out on the first corner. He had probably his best start of the season. Got the draft and the toe from the three cars ahead, so arrived with massive overspeed. You can't blame him at his home race, going to try to take the lead of the Grand Prix. I think you'd have to call it a racing incident because three into one doesn't go. And Charles, Charles Leclerc, obviously couldn't get out of it and he break late, and that's the complaint Checo also had that uh, Leclerc break late. And Horner continued, you could see on the replay that Charles was in a bit of a Red Bull sandwich, end quote, when of course the sandwich did not turn out to be very uh, tasty for Checo. 
Your thoughts on Checo's high-flying exer? The biggest problem is when you put yourself, and they have a replay from Checo's cockpit. And when you're in there, and you watch that start, and Checo, I mean, it looks like he's going to make it. I mean, I see what he sees, especially if you slow-mo it. And he's so excited, he sees the lead. He sees it. He's already thinking about, oh my God, I could become president of Mexico if I could just make it. And unfortunately, he didn't, but I could see what he was seeing. And in front of all those machismo men and those machismas, he had no choice but to make it happen, and it didn't happen. And that's the way it is. The history, this is ABC News. The uh, agony and the ecstasy. Exactly. Yes, sir. The Ferrari of Charles Leclerc suffered front wing damage but kept going in second place. For you and I, and I'm sure many out there, it was pretty obvious who was going to win this race. So it was a matter of who will fight for the podium steps for second and third and other point paying positions. Then we had VSC virtual safety car on lap 5 to recover debris from the track. Max already had a 3.2 second lead over Leclerc. Sainz, Ricciardo and LCH completed the top five. Lewis was within DRS range of Ricciardo but still took five laps to pass the Alfa Tauri with a GP2 engine. Did that surprise you, sir? It did. It did surprise me quite a bit. I, that Alfa Tauri had really good performance in Mexico. I was very, very impressed. I mean, even, of course, we had a, the, the Sonoda mistakes, but the little battle between Piastri and Sonoda was exciting. You know, I mean, we were going, damn. After a dozen laps, Max was running trouble and Ferrari free ahead of Leclerc and Sainz Jr. By lap 17, Lewis was in pursuit of Carlito in third place. Ricciardo was still in top five while his teammate, your hero, Sonoda, was 19th after a pit stop. Max came in. You know, I want to ask you a question. I was watching the race on F1 TV and I watched the replay also. They did not even show Max Verstappen coming into the pits. Did you see that video on your feed? I watched it on Channel 7, ABC, ESPN, and it was much briefer, but yes, they did show it. No, they did not show. I was surprised, and this was official F1 TV. But anyway, Max came for new hard rubber and put the red cars, and that put the red cars on top with LCH within DRS range of Science Jr. Lap 25, LCH in for hard tires. Max was third with both Ferraris yet to make pit stops for new tires. Now, at any stage, did you think Ferraris, uh, Ferrari could win a race? Not in a million years. Yeah, same here. Lap 29, Max sails by Sainz Jr. for second. Normal service restored on lap 32 as Leclerc came in for fresh rubber and Max became the race leader. What else is new in this war? The lead was over 16 seconds. Now, Mr. Rogers, you know, the previous race in Austin, there was no caution, no um, safety uh, flag or anything. I had a strong feeling that, you know, it's a high-speed track in uh, Mexico. I had a strong inkling that something will happen here. But anyway, lap 33 of 71, we have a big one as K-Mac crashes into the wall of voodoo in Mexico. The driver wanted to turn right, the car went left. Good news is he's okay. 
and Red Bull brings Max back into the pits for a new set of hard tires. And apparently the issue was with rear suspension and Mr. Gunther Steiner is saying that it could be heat related. So maybe in a few days we'll find out what happened. The race was red flag meaning another standing start which for me is the most beautiful part of Formula 1 racing. You like standing start, senor, or rolling start? I I hate rolling starts. I like people standing and hanging out. There you go. Restart. Easy peasy for Max. Leclerc second and Hamilton third going into turn one. Top two on hard tires and LCH on mediums. LCH was all over Leclerc in the words of David Hobbs, like a cheap suit from Tommy Hilfiger, if there is such a deal. Obviously, we don't expect LCH or Clark Rogers to be seen entering a men's warehouse. I guarantee that. Am I right on that, Mr. Rogers? You know, don't laugh, but I used to shop at the men's warehouse. Used to before you run into lots of zeros. Exactly, and then everything changed, and I just go to Hong Kong for custom fittings. Oh, very nice, very nice. Lap 40, Lewis takes second from Leclerc with the little grassy action. He was only three seconds behind race leader. Mr. Roger, question for you. With 30 laps to go, were you expecting a repeat of the Brazilian Grand Prix 2021 and the great battle we had between LCH and Max Factor? No, I, I didn't see any of that. I thought LCH was very competitive, a lot of speed, but Max was, you know, I, I think he finished, what, 14 seconds ahead, 15 seconds I was happy for Fernando. You know, he's doing what... I, excuse me. That was a Freudian slip, Nasser. I was happy for LCH. He's doing what I was hoping Fernando would be doing at the end of the season. But it is what it is. Yes, sir. And speaking of uh, Alonso, lap 48, back-to-back DNF for Alonso. Lap later, Yuki spins out after a boneheaded move on Piastri. Once upon a time... Ron Dennis called Eddie Jordan village idiot of Formula 1. Hate to say this, that's how I feel now about Yuki Tsunoda. He was very impressive and equally abusive both in Formula 3 and Formula 2. The kid has the speed, but I don't think mentally he's ready for Formula 1. And Mexico was not his first rodeo. What's your take on him uh, continuing in Formula 1? Well, you know, I don't know. He He's Honda's boy. So that makes a big difference. But, hey, I mean, is he worse than your buddy uh, at Williams last year? Latifi? The goat, Gotifi? Gotifi, yes. <laughs> no, there is no comparison. Thank you. So I'm for, the, I'm for the underdog here, Nasser. Yeah. Okay, lap 60, Lando, Lando takes six from Ricciardo after a forceful but clean move. By now, Max had already checked out and was ahead of Lewis by over 12 seconds. Lap 67, Lando takes fifth from George Russell. And Lance Stroll spins into retirement. Wonder how long he will be in Formula 1. I'm guessing as long as there is Equipe Papito. Would you like to see him go first or uh, Sonoda? You know, I do like Equipe Papito, Scuderio Papa. It's all good stuff. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen at Aston Martin. You know what happens when Fernando is not happy. Something's going to happen. Lance Stroll has never been happy in Formula One. I don't even know why he's here, but he's doing it for Papa. So it's a strange set of circumstances. And Lance Stroll, I mean, is he going to sell the team because his son is out? Or is he serious about trying to win the Formula One World Championship? 
The whole thing is blowing my mind, to be honest with you. And then we have Andretti coming in, and now there's questions at Audi because they have new management, and they're reviewing this crazy idea of entering Formula One. So there's so many things on the horizon, Nasser, that we will be so busy after the final race, you're going to love it. Wouldn't it be funny if in mid-December, Alonso announces... I'm leaving Aston Martin and joining Williams. <laughs> That's exactly what's going to happen. Except that he's not going to Williams. The big rumor now is Christian Horner is now fond of Fernando because Max likes Fernando and they bonded. So Fernando is going to replace Sergio Perez. And that way all the instrumentation can stay in Espanol. After 71 laps in the Magdalena Mishuka Park, name and face on top step of the podium was the same as it has been in 15 other Grand Prix races this season. Max Verstappen. Only three words are required to describe his season and performance. Super Uber domination. Second was Lewis Hamilton back on the podium for the sixth time this season after disqualification in Austin. He also set the fastest lap of the race on the final lap. Third, Charles Leclerc in his 100 ride on a prancing horse. Like Lewis, he was also disqualified from the race in Austin, but soldiered on to take his fourth podium of the season in Mexico. Despite starting from his back-to-back pole position, Charles was never a factor to win the race against Mighty Max. Fourth was Sainz Jr. started from the front row but did not make any waves during the race. But at the same time, he also did not drown in his own sorrow on the opening lap, showing the importance of finishing and scoring points. Apart from his very impressive Singapore victory, his only other podium finishes were at Monza and Austin. Fifth, Lando Norris. The McLaren man started 17th and drove a great race passing many drivers to finish fifth. He was voted driver of the day ahead of Daniel Ricciardo. Lando got 29.5% of the votes compared to 216 for Ricciardo. The race winner got 7.5% of the vote, which I can understand because, you know, he's hit the best driver, he's in the best car, so what he did was expected. But this was interesting. I'd like to get your take on this. His teammate, Sergio Perez, who did not even make it to turn two, got 8.3% of the votes. So something is fishy here, or as the host will say, Stinko. What say you, amigo, on the fan voting? Well, I always tell people, vote early and vote often. Oh, you mean more than once? Correcto. There you go. Okay, you know, interesting point was made by Andrea Stella, the McLaren man. He said the victory reminds him of that great victory, which I also think was fantastic. Of, of course, Fernando Alonso in Valencia Street Race, where he started, I think, 12th or 14th and won the race. I think it was with Ferrari back in 2012, if I have the numbers correct. So this was a really great performance from Lando Norris. I hope he gets his first win soon. Moving on to sixth place, George Russell. He was not happy with the team's tire strategy. After qualifying 8th, he moved up two places at the end, bringing home both Mercedes cars into the points. Russell was Mercedes' only winner last year, and so far this season his only podium came in Barcelona. 
In the championship, he has 151 points and is 8th in the standings, while his teammate, LCH, is 3rd with 220 points. You think Lewis will finish 2nd in the championship? Yes, I do. There's more DNFs for Sergio in his near future. I think what he has, not DNF, but SD, self-destruction. That works too, Nasser. Keep up the good work, by the way. Thank you, sir. Okay, 7th, Daniel Ricciardo. This was real feel-good story of the weekend for me. The Honey Badger qualified on the second row and was the only Alpha Tauri in the points. If he can continue this momentum in the remaining three races, chances are, chances are awfully good. He may be Max's teammate in the near future. And how near is near? We leave that to Dr. Marco. Eighth, Oscar Piastri, definitely star of the future. Next season, he may be Senna of 88 at McLaren. In Mexico, he qualified 7. Highlight of the season has been back-to-back podiums in Japan and Qatar, and of course the sprint race victory in Qatar, which was very impressive. Ninth, Alex Albon. All season long, he has been the wonder of Williams' team. The team is 7th in the Constructors' Championship with 28 points, all except one point scored by Albon. His ninth place finish in Mexico City is the same as in previous race in Austin. He is 13th in the championship with 27 points. And 13th in the championship at Williams is pretty good, I think. And now we come to the final point from 10th place finish, Esteban Ocon. He was the only Alpine driver in the points, with teammate Pierre Gasly right behind him in 11th. Ocon's only podium of the season came in Monte Carlo. He is currently 12th in the championship with 45 points and his teammate Gasly is 10th with 56 points. Any other things you want to say on the review of the racer before we move on to points to ponder? Great race. I enjoyed it tremendously. Uh, the Mexican people were, were overjoyed. Now, there was, a, you know, they needed bodyguards. It's, get, it's getting pretty hairy over there. There's so many people, but it's an exciting Grand Prix, and I, I hope we keep it for a long, long time. Yes, sir, and there was even some months ago talk of another race in some other city, and let's see what happens. Okay, we move on to points to ponder. Max is the man in Mexico with five wins more than any other driver. Victory number 51 puts him on par with Professor Pross. He needs two more to equal Seb's record of 53 wins. With three races remaining, this should not be an issue. This will put him third on the all-time win list behind the two giants of Grand Prix winnings. Michael Schumacher at 91 and everybody's favorite, Lewis Hamilton at 103. Now, Jim neighbors can see candlelight burning bright through the sycamores. I can see Max with five championships and 70-plus wins by the end of the 2025 season. What say you, amigo? I think Christian Horner has already started indicating that the penalty that they are dealing with from the 2021 cap breach is beginning to kick in. You'll notice that pretty soon, I think Mercedes and McLaren, are not only are they going to catch up Max, but I think eventually Max might not be too happy with the end result. But we'll see what happens. I know they're going to match Max definitely by 2025 or 2024. So I don't know. 
they're going to get caught. That's for sure. It's who does it. And of course, LCH, he wants to do it as soon as possible. So he avoids the Fernando syndrome. Okay, Nico Hulkenberg. Mexico will start number 200 for the German driver. Won anything and everything in junior Formula A, just like LCH, Leclerc, and Oscar. I think Nico Hulkenberg is the only driver who won the GP2 championship in his rookie season and did not get into a top Formula 1 team. Top Formula 1 team of the time. As we all know, no package, no delivery. To this day, no podium, no win, and his only pole position in Sao Paulo remains the highlights of his Formula 1 life so far. Now looking ahead, we have the Brazilian Grand Prix this Sunday. And here is your favorite question, Mr. Rogers. Who will share the podium with Max on top? Lewis and Leclerc or Lewis and his 2007 teammate? Who can it be now? What say you? Who can it be now? It's going to be Lewis for sure. That Fernando has no more package. He will be screaming, I don't know, what, what could he scream? 1966 Mercedes-Benz engine? I, I don't know. But I feel bad for Fernando. He is out of the picture. But at least his camping chair is waiting for him right there at the Grand Prix in Brazil. It's going to be Lewis for sure. You know, he, he the Mercedes looks fantastic. Lewis loves Brazil, you know, and they all love him there. So he's going to take that in. And it could be pretty competitive. The numbers are stacking up against Max. Eventually, and I know nobody believes me, but... A mechanical problem is going to happen, folks. You can't just keep going and going and going and not have any issues. And trust me, it will happen. And it could happen next week. It could happen next month. LCH is on the verge of getting that win. And Max having so many wins, I think he's on the verge of having a DNF. So yes, I think LCH is on for win. And uh, it's going to cheer everybody up. You know what is really sad if your prophecy comes true? What is amazing? Most likely the win will go to one of the Ferrari drivers or LCH, not to the second Red Bull. Absolutely, that's for sure. And that will really piss off Dr. Marco. But he can't say anything because we'll still be in South America. Oh, yes. Well, but he can always give a phone call to Nelson Piquet through Kelly Piquet, and he'll say anything. (laughs) Absolutely. Looking forward to that conversation. Yeah. And speaking of Nelson Piquet, you know, I was at Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to this uh, young Brazilian driver and I asked him about the word Nelson Piquet is used. Is it derogatory? He says, no, it's used all the time. I call my cousin that name and all that. So, you know, who knows what the truth is. But the thing is, you know, in this day and age, one has to be careful. Yes, but Piquet is not one to be careful, but I do believe it is part of their linguistic approach to niceties believe it or not so yeah the culture is always a big problem but anyway on that note nas i need to wash my mouth out with some soap so let's take a quick break and we'll be back after these brief messages hi i'm carlos Sainz, and you are listening f1 weekly welcome back to f1weekly.com clark rogers here your host and now as we spin the globe and go around the world with motorsports mondial and the king the swami himself nasser hamid Thank you, sir. And I say, we haven't done this in a while, so here we go. 
Greetings and racing regards from Suzuka to Magdalena, Michuka. And also to the Brickyard. I was there a few weeks ago and we have another interview. Lucky to say or happy to say we have quite a few so we'll be bringing one interview every week. And today interview is with Miles Rowe. He's a young man from Atlanta area right now studying in Brooklyn, New York. He is supported by Roger Penske and this year he won the 2023 USF Pro 2000 Championship which is two steps below IndyCar racing and that made him the first African-American to win a single-seater championship in this country. Absolutely great achievement and he has the support of Roger Penske and Mr. Will Power has been very helpful in helping his career. And we have interviewed uh, Miles a few times before and this was another great opportunity. I would like to thank his, for him for his time and also his papito, Mr. Wayne Miles, for arranging this interview. And one interesting factor I want fans to know, listeners to know is Miles is a big fan of pancakes at IHOP. So let's hop on to the interview. Thank you. Okay, folks, we are all charged up in a dot charger to have a chat with Mr. Miles Rowe. Hello, Mr. Champion. What a difference a year makes in Portland, Oregon. How many butterflies you had in your tummy in the closing laps of the race in which you clinched your championship in Indy Pro 2000? <laughs> First of all, thanks for thanks for coming out and speaking to me again. There were, I'm going to be honest, there were no butterflies on my way to the finish line in Portland. It was really funny. I think everyone but me had butterflies <laughs> heading towards the finish line to Portland. I remember my people talking about uh, my boss, Augie Paps, like pacing back and forth and just like having difficulty, like, like as the races, as the laps went by and, um, and, and Will Power came through, uh, my mentor, um, to see it. And he was just like quiet and like nervous, they said. And my engineer, Tonis, Tonis Kazimitz, uh, he was constantly, he never counts down the laps for me on the radio. Ever, not never, ever in a race, he'll count down the laps, and it was about six laps to go, and he starts count counting down each and every lap for me, and it was so bad that he was he it was like three laps to go, and he said three laps to go, and he left the uh, he left his hand on the on the radio button for about like the whole lap. It was like it was just static in my ear, um, but I was just focused on the second place driver ahead because I just wanted to like get the next position. I was just like putting all my energy to focusing on trying to just move up a, a position i threw the championship out of my mind especially with how portland went in 2022 so yeah i had no butterflies i was just focused on the race and i think everyone else was the one with butterflies now you mentioned tony casimet is he the same guy who used to race also tony's uh tony's casimets he he used to race in in formula atlantics that's what i thought yeah and a few other series um and he was really really good um came over from Estonia, mm-hmm. um, and he's just one of the biggest role models in my life. Um, yeah, he's just a star, star character, and and it's just he. I mean, when he was running in Atlantic, he was winning races while driving the car and tuning for the car himself um, simultaneously, and that was like unheard of. It is unheard of. Like I didn't hear about that. And yeah, that's my that was my engineer last year, and yeah, he was great. And yeah, I can't I can't speak highly enough about about Tony's. Now you mentioned Will Power. There is also a driver in Formula One who drives car number 44. He also tweeted about your championship success. This must have meant a lot to you. 
Yeah, that was when when Lewis Hamilton tweeted about me um, the next morning um, after winning the championship. It was it was very huge. I mean, it it boosted you know my presence online naturally, just just putting me up on his socials and and that did a lot for my confidence because that's always been a little bit of a weakness. You know, my online presence. If I wasn't racing cars, I probably my Instagram account probably would be actually deleted by now. Uh, is how I feel about social media, but. Um, I'm always trying to improve it because it's part of the game, and he helped me do that. He helped just give me confidence knowing that, you know, he sees me and he supports, you know, what I'm doing. You know, one of the favorite, one of my favorite drivers ever. Like, he knows my name now. And, yeah, he's trying to sh- literally, like, get other people in his community to know more about what I'm doing, which is something kind of just, it, it's very crazy, um, considering the amount of th- things and the impact Lewis has had not only on the industry, but just the world in general. Mr. Penske is uh, backing you up. Uh, did, did you talk to him or m- meet him after winning the championship? Uh, yeah, I saw I saw um, Mr. Penske right after the championship, and he was he was very very happy. Um, not like emotional, like maybe a younger person would be, but just very like reserved. But definitely communicated clearly that we did something great together, and he's really happy that we did what we did in winning the championship and putting Force India on the map. And yeah, just, it was, it, it, it was expected, like he fully expected it to happen for me in a way where he was kind of like less emotional than I thought he would be at first. But thinking about it, I, it, it, it gives me more confidence because he sees how great I can be. It makes me realize like he really thinks I can do great things. So I had a great talk with Mr. Pinsky after and that gave me a good confidence boost for the okay. future. Fantastic. Now, you had a strong start to the season, winning three of the first four races. Were you surprised at this quick success, especially as a rookie? And I'm glad to say I was there at Sebring where you won both races. I wasn't surprised by it. Um, it was just... I was I was definitely not surprised about my performance. I was more surprised about how quickly we were able to... to me and Tony's were able to get the Pabst racing car balanced and aligned because they've had issues in the past on the on the usf pro 2000 side of things with pabst racing so it was it was big for us to make sure we get our balances correct our baselines correct for for 2023 and yeah so like i always expected me to perform like that but the car to come out the box like the way we did was really impressive and and i think that did a lot to boost the team's confidence I mentioned you won both races at Sebring. If I remember correctly, your race two was very hard fought. I believe it was with Kiko Porto. What is your? Uh, do you think it was your toughest win of the season? Yeah, for sure. Kiko is um, definitely, if not the best, one of the best drivers I've ever and probably will ever race against. And also, he's. I think I respect him the most as a driver that I've raced against. Just his character and just the respect he has for people and how he you know, um, just carries himself out there. And the battles you get into with Kiko are, are like some of the best you'll ever have because he races differently than any other driver I've come across. It's like he has no ego on the track. He sincerely races very hard, but very true. It's not like a, a driver where they're good, but you, you know, maybe even some people would say that about me. Like, maybe you don't know what they're going to do, but like, it's not like, you know what Kiko's going to do, but because he's good at, you don't know what he's going to do, but you know you'll be able to battle with him. And I really appreciate that um, about him and his character. And, yeah, I just, I just love the battles that we've had together. I love it. 
Now both you and Simon Sykes won championship this season for Peps Racing. So let me ask you the question I asked him just now. Does that give you a free supply of Peps Blue Ribbon for the season? (laughs) (laughs) I wish it would. I wish it would. Oh, man. Yeah, why don't we talk to Augie about that? (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't we? (laughs) Okay, there you go. Okay, in 2024, you will be at the final frontier before the promised land of IndyCar racing. What is your first impression of Indy Next Car, and what are the main big differences between the car you drove uh, this past season? First impressions of the car... It's quite rigid. Like, you would think it would be a smoother ride than the less, you know, technical cars. But that's not true. Maybe down, like, the straightaway, but through the corners, it is not a smoother ride. Um, Coming out the pits is not a smoother ride. It's definitely a race car, and it's very rigid, and it's it's got some kick, as everyone says. So, like, one one of the things I expected was a little bit more lateral grip through the corners from the downforce especially here at like Indianapolis road course like turn four um and like through the s's at Indianapolis road course but it struggles a lot there it's there's a lot of understeer actually and that I didn't expect and I've been told a lot to hustle the car a lot and I now have I now have an understanding of what people mean when they say hustle the car basically means you need to make sure you have the nose of the car loaded in the corner uh if you don't you're going to be slow in that corner but being precise and figuring out how to do that um, with all the natural aspects of the car, the bias, the bars, track grip conditions can be very difficult because we're now entering, you know, that region of 175 plus, you know, those high speeds where precision is is quite key. You will be going against second year drivers like Louis Foster and Nolan Siegel. Uh, what are your expectations uh, from the 2024 season? Obviously, winning the championship is always the goal, but what will will you consider as a satisfactory, happy performance at the end of the season? That's a. I'm still trying to. I'm still trying to figure out what my goals are for this year. That'll probably develop as I sleep on today after the first test and know where my pace is now. But my main thing is gener- generally there's a there's a couple things like with in regards to like throttle application and in regards to like steering input like when I turn the wheel and when I do turn it how hard I turn it like little driver details like being fast in low grip situations or on cold tires I think things like that um, especially the low grip situation the cold tire situation if I can improve in those areas like feel like like if I go in the in the pro car and I feel like I made an improvement in those areas like a big improvement then I'll be happy because those are the areas that are going to get me those wins and get me those fast laps um, and get me those points Uh, because everywhere else um, I kind of have some strengths going on so those are the weakness Uh, so really I'm, I'm, I'm I would be happy if the weaknesses that I identified this year um and worked on constantly this year became strengths Great. Now, among fellow rookies, who do you see as main challengers? Fellow rookies. Honestly, I'm I'm drawing blank on most of the rookies. One I, of them is standing in front of you. He, Michael, sure I don't know if he's going to run that. Yeah. Is Kiko coming into Indy Lights? Indy Next? I don't know. Okay. But if Kiko were to come in, he'd be someone I'd be looking out for, for sure. Who's a rookie? Are there any rookies on Andretti? No rookies on Andretti. Uh, Are you scared of Lindsey Brewer? <laughs> I'm scared of her social media following. (laughs) (laughs) Let's leave it at that. Same here. Very. (laughs) 
What about Jamie Chadwick? Oh, I'm frightened of Jamie Chadwick. Yeah. Jamie Chadwick looks like she could come and beat me up if she wanted to. She looks like she looks tough. No, I have a lot of respect for Jamie too. Um, like she's super quick and she she's I've talked to her like briefly and she seems like a really nice person, so yeah, but she definitely looks like she she has co- like um, a different level of confidence uh, than most women do, and that you can see that in the results she has. Okay, final question: There are three oval races uh, next season. I believe Iowa, Gateway, and Milwaukee. Are you as comfortable on ovals as you are on road courses? Oh yeah, for sure. Ovals, ovals have I'm no I have no problem with any with with ovals. Maybe I've only ran on one, which is Lucas Oil Raceway, but. That is, it's and it's a short track oval, but it's a tough one, especially racing. You know, just it's very technical, uh, and I feel like the results and my experience I've had learning and running there in the past. I think I can carry that, and I think I can have a good learning experience um, on these ovals and and really learn how to drive fast on on a, on a big big oval. Miles, thank you so much, and we wish you continued success and. I will be seeing you at races next season. Copy that. <laughs> thank you, sir. Miles, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. Back to you, Nasser. Thank you, sir. Now on the Motorsports Monday, I'll be first go to Suzuka in Japan. Season finale of Japanese Super Formula Series turned out to be super let down for Liam Lawson. He was on pole for the season finale and but was unable to take the title in the final race of the season and he ended up finishing second. Toyota driver Ritomo Miyata finished third to take the championship. The race was won by another Japanese driver Kaku Noshin Ota. I think this is his first win in the series. And let's see what Dr. Marco will do uh, with Liam. Now Liam did win the first race of the season on his debut which was very impressive and he's losing the championship by less than 10 points, so it's not like he was blown away by 100 points. Okay, from Suzuka, we go to Buriram in Thailand for MotoGP. Spanish rider Jorge Martin won both the sprint and feature races and is now only 13 points behind championship leader Paco Banyaya, who was second on Sunday. Third man on the podium in feature race was South African Brad Binder. Next we go to World Rally Championship, Central European Rally. This is a new rally they created this year. Kale Rovanpera is now a two-time FIA World Rally Champion after clinching his second successive title on Sunday, uh, finishing second in the inaugural Central European Rally. Now this kid is a 23-year-old, comes from Finlandia, and he finished uh, second behind winner who was from Belgium, Thierry Neuville. And there are a few more rallies remaining and we will keep an eye on them and report as they happen. Okay, moving on. The Marco Machetti strikes again. The final round of the 2023 Formula 2 Championship will take place at Yas Marina in Abu Dhabi. At this time, none of the Red Bull drivers are in the top five which automatically activates swinging action of Dr. Marco's machete. Here are the victims. Dennis Hogger from Norway. He was 2021 Formula 3 champion. Last year in Formula 2 he was 10th and this year with one round to go he is 8th and that has turned Dennis Hogger into Norwegian wood as per lofty standards of Red Bull and Dr. Marco. 
Enzo Fittipaldi from Brazil slash Miami. He is the grandson of Emerson Fittipaldi and at one time used to be in the Ferrari Driver Academy. He was 2018 Italian Formula 4 champion. We interviewed him a couple of years ago. Very nice kid. Third victim is Zane Maloney, the boy from Barbados. He was second in European Formula 3 last season. This year his crime is he has no wins and with one round to go he is 10th in the championship with 96 points compared to 191 for championship leader your fellow Francais Theo Pourcher who is in his third year of Formula 2. Also getting the Isaac Hayes CD is young American from Dallas, Texas, Jack Crawford. His nickname is Jetpack. Jack Crawford has been a Red Bull Junior since 2020 when he finished second in the German Formula 4. This season in Formula 2 he is 13th in the championship with one win and 56 points. In the last seven races he scored point only in the feature race at Zandvoort where he was on the podium in third. Once a driver is dropped by a major driver development program it is not very common to be picked up by another team and then make it to Formula 1. One driver who survived the Dr. Marco Machete is Japanese Ayumu Iwasa and maybe he can thank Honda for that. He is currently third in the championship and he is being put on the Pierre Gasly and Liam Lawson program and will race in Japanese Super Formula next season. Iwasa is a very good driver and has much better attitude than Sonoda. More Formula 2 news. Young Mercedes, rising star and the next big thing from Wolfpack Driving Academy, Italian Antonio Kimi Antonelli will race in Formula 2 with the top Prema team. This season he won the Formula Regional Championship also with Prema. The natural next step was Formula 3 but of course Toto knows best. I have been watching this kid's career since his karting days. He is very talented and I wish him all the best. The world of Formula 1 can sure appreciate the first Italian world champion since 1953. Another long time coming is the first world champion since 1957 from Argentina. Hoping to be that hombre and moving into Formula 1 next season is Franco Colapinto. This season he was fourth in the European Formula 3 with three wins. He is a talented young man but I don't think he's in the same league as Juan Manuel Fangio or Carlos Reutemann. Okay, sir, now we come to our Guriver, Historical Mondial. Hombres from Mexico in Formula 1. Ricardo Rodriguez, he was the first Mexican driver in Formula 1. At the age of 19, he qualified his short-nosed Ferrari 156 on the front row for his first Formula 1 race at Monza in 1961. Other highlights include second place, second place finish with Belgian André Pellet driving Ferrari 250 for Luigi Canetti's North American racing team in 1960 and this was I believe at Le Mans. In May 1962 driving for Enzo he won the classic road race in Sicilia, Targa Florio, partnering with two Belgian drivers Olivier Jean Debien and Willy Myres. In November of 1962, Scuderia Ferrari decided not to take part in the non-championship Mexican Grand Prix, so Ricardo agreed to drive a Lotus 24 entered by Rob Walker, 
Unfortunately, in practice, he crashed heavily going into Peraltada after a right rear suspension failure. Some years ago, I read his older brother Pedro ran to his aid and Ricardo died in his arms. I'm not sure if the story is correct. But what is correct is also entered for the race was a gentleman from Shaker Heights, Ohio, USA, Roger Penske. Now we come to Pedro Rodriguez. He was two years older than Ricardo. His claim to fame is winning the Le Mans in a Ford GT. He made his Grand Prix debut on the 1963 US Grand Prix at Watkins Glen and became the first Mexican driver to win Formula One race, which was at Kyalami 1967 South African Grand Prix in a Cooper powered by Maserati. Okay, now the 68 uh, Le Mans that he did was in the beautiful Ford GT John Wire automotive car. His co-driver was Lucien Bianchi back then, who was grand-uncle of Jules Bianchi. Pedro's second and final win was Spa 1970 in a BRM. His drive in the rain in the BOEC 1000 kilometers at Brands Hatch in 1970 is still talked about to this day. Pedro lost his life in a fiery crash during a sports car race on the Norris Frank Street Circuit in Germany. They still race DTM cars on this track. Next we come to a gentleman by the name of Moises Solana. He was a very competitive driver in his native country. Between 1963 and 68 he took part in eight Grand Prix races all in US and Mexico. He lost his life in 1969 during a Mexican hill climb event when he crashed his McLaren and was trapped in the burning wreckage. You know, Joe Ramirez uh, knew this guy. Next we come to Hector Rebac. He was the first Mexican driver to race in Formula 1 since the passing of Pedro Rodriguez. Hector made his Grand Prix debut in the 1977 Belgian Grand Prix. His best finish in the championship was 10th in the 1981 season, finishing 4th in 3 races, San Marino Grand Prix, German Grand Prix and Dutch Grand Prix. His teammate was Nelson Piquet who was world champion that season. Hector Rebach's claim to fame in the world of motorsport is winning the first IndyCar race at Road America in 1982. Next we come to one of our amigos, Esteban Gutierrez. This kid started his single-seater career of all the places in Salt Lake City, Utah, taking pole position for both the Formula BMW races of the weekend. In 2008, he moved to Formula BMW Europe Series and destroyed quite a few careers on his way to dominating the championship. This included driver managed at that time by Willie Weber, Marco Whitman, and Adrian Tombe, son of Patrick Tombe, who won the opening two races of the season in Barcelona, but Adrian never won again that season. Esteban, on the other hand, won seven of 16 races, including six in a row. In 2010, Esteban was the inaugural champion in the GP3 series, again an impressive style, winning five races. And you know his teammate was Alexander Rossi, and Esteban scored almost twice as many points as uh, Rossi. To borrow a phrase from Martin Brundle, Esteban ran out of steam in GP2, winning only one reverse grade race in Valencia in 2011. And you know, when that happened, I was obviously following this very closely. I just knew that, you know, he won't get into a top Formula 1 team. And he was unable to win the championship in his second year also, the following season. 
He made it to Formula One at Sauber as a BMW junior driver, but he was no match for Nico Hülkenberg here. His final season in Formula One was with Haas F1. He left the team in same manner as Scott Speed at Toro Rosso. A little push and shove with the team boss. Do you remember that with Gunter Steiner, sir? Yes, sir. I remember that. I remember him winning the GP3 championship. I was there at Monza interviewing Esteban Gutierrez and Alexander Rossi for F1Weekly.com. You are machismo. Gracias. Okay, next we have today's Grand Prix driver and race winner Sergio Perez, known as Checo. He had a long career in junior European racing before arriving in Formula 1. He raced in Formula BMW, British Formula 3 and spent three seasons in GP2. Best finish was second in 2010 behind fellow Latin machismo, the cat from Maracay in Venezuela, our favorite Pastor Maldonado. Checo made his name with Sauber, especially in managing his tires. Few will forget his near win over Machismo, a.k.a. Alonso, in Malaysia 2012. He went from last to first to grab his first win at Sakhir Bahrain in 2020, which was absolutely very, very impressive. This season, despite two early season wins, he has been totally smashed like a piñata by his teammate. On a positive note, he has more Grand Prix wins than some Formula 1 world champions. And sir, finally, he's not a driver, but great contribution to the world of motor racing. So I would like to talk about him a little bit, and that is Joe Ramirez. Joe retired as McLaren team manager. He was there during the Prost-Sena gunfight at the Woking Corral. And he says um, in his book that he was on the Alain Prost uh, side. But that's okay, you know, to each his own. He was with Team Terrell when François Severe was killed at Watkins Glen in October 1973. In his book, Joe talks about going to Severe's hotel room to collect his personal belongings. He also talks about receiving the wreckage of Severe's car, which is very gross, and I will not get into it. Joe, his real name is Joaquin, first came to Europe with Ricardo Rodriguez, and I will highly recommend his book, which is called Joe Ramirez, Memoirs of a Racing Man. And that was our goodie bag from south of the border down Mexico Way. And uh, Mr. Rogers, before we go into uh, Musical Mondial, do you have anything you want to say? Yeah, Joe Ramirez's uh, book is outstanding, highly recommended. It. It's a book, if you like Formula One, should be on your shelf as it is on my shelf. But great Grand Prix. I'm looking forward to Brazil to get another Max win, of course cry about the end of Fernando's James Bond activities, but we'll see what happens. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know who's driving at Aston Martin next year. What is going on, Nasser? I think it will be the same, Alonzo and Daddy's little Jim Clark. But I heard that uh, rain is forecast for Friday in Sao Paulo and dry uh, weather in on Saturday and Sunday, so we will see. Okay, sir, let's go to our musical Mondial. Today we feature the most famous song from Mexico, which is also the most covered Spanish language song of all time. This is an English version. Thank you for listening and please enjoy Besame Mucho. Adios. Good night. Besame. Besame mucho. Each time I claim to your kiss, I hear music divine. 
Bésame, bésame mucho Hold me, my darling, and say that you'll always be mine Bésame, bésame mucho I hear music divine Bésame Bésame mucho Hold me, my darling And say that you'll always be mine